Hello, and thanks for tuning into Short White Coat Syndrome, a PA student podcast. I am your host, David Cooper. Um, today, we're going to be diving into some awesome topics about the pre-PA process and what it sort of took to get into PA school from multiple different perspectives. We're going to have some first-year PA students here at Quinnipiac University, as well as a uh, fellow second-year PA student. And then we're also going to dive a little bit into the didactic year and what that process is like. Keep Thanks for tuning in, guys. So uh, just a little brief synapse on our podcast. This is uh, for any listener that's just interested in the PA profession and just wants to know a little bit more about PAs themselves. So we're just going to kind of dive in a little bit uh, onto this this episode about pre-PAs, uh, the pre-PA process, what it takes to get in, as well as um, the didactic here. So I, I'm just going to start out by introducing myself, just a little bit about me and my past medical experience, uh, just to familiarize yourselves uh, with all of the, the guests on this panel. So my name is David Cooper, and I am a second-year PA student here at Quinnipiac University. I uh, prior, had prior medical experience as a nursing assistant, both in long-term care as well as in uh, the cardiac unit at a local hospital from Washington State. I also... Um, uh, had medical experience abroad on multiple medical mission trips, one in two in the Dominican Republic and one in Guatemala. And then additionally, I worked as a medical assistant uh, at a podiatry clinic for a period of time. So with that, I'm going to pass it over to uh, Brett. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for having me on, David. Uh, I am a second year PA student at Quinnipiac University. Uh, Similar to David, uh, we're in the throes of the clinical year, so uh, it's a lot of fun. (laughs) But essentially, all of my past medical experience was uh, mostly as an EMT. So I worked as an EMT in a uh, kind of underserviced, uh, uh, high-volume call area of of a city in upstate New York. So that was a lot of fun for me. But I also did some other small things. I was a nurse assistant in an ER. I also uh, worked as a sports medicine kind of athletic training student. Uh, so those were all hours that counted for me as well and experiences that, that kind of helped me when I applied and went through everything. So that was kind of my background, um, and hopefully we'll get to share a lot more about it because I'm uh, excited to be here and excited to talk about it all with, uh, with the three of you guys. Yeah, you probably feel a little sleep-deprived yourself, I'm assuming, getting through this process. No, n- not, not as bad as you with uh, surgery right now. <laughs> Internal medicine's kind of cushy compared to that. <laughs> yeah, for our, for our listeners, I'm currently in my uh, general surgery rotation, and let's just say I feel a little bit, uh, a phrase I like to use is rectus femoris. I just feel, <laughs> <laughs> I just feel absolutely destroyed right now, waking up at an ungodly hour and staying until there is no sunlight. So I haven't seen sunlight. It's kind of nice seeing it today. I haven't seen it in a while. So You're, you're really selling this whole PA school thing. You're, you're making it so attractive. I'm really convincing everybody to, to <laughs> j- jump on this train, right? I mean, I was going to say you did look a little pale. This is my first time meeting you, but <laughs> definitely a little pale. Practically a vampire. <laughs> All right. And so let's let's jump to you then. Uh, how about you introduce yourself? Well, uh, my name is Tyler Brome. I'm 27 years old from Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, my previous medical background uh, was predominantly in EMS as well. Um, I worked as a paramedic for four and a half years or so um, in a rural a- agency about 30 minutes west of Salt Lake City. Um, in addition to that, I worked at a plasma phoresis center where I mm-hmm. uh, did phlebotomy for a couple years and then was a medical specialist where I did like histories and physical exams on the donors to determine their suitability for uh, donation, counsel them on test results, and monitor them while they're while they're donating. So, did that for about three years or so. Um, little small gigs, part time with fire departments, teaching CPR classes and fire safety to children and everything, which is always always good fun. Stop, drop, and roll, and <laughs> get under the smoke. But uh, yeah, predominantly EMS, um, and uh, yeah, that's about it. Oh, Dee? cool. Awesome. Yeah, so I'm Dee Scambato. I'm 22, so I'm a little on the younger side, and I'm from New Haven County area in Connecticut, so um, really close to Quinnipiac's campus, and my experience is definitely a lot different than these guys. I came from an entry-level program, so 
I graduated college and then a week later I started PA school. So a little bit different than what these guys have experienced and I'm definitely a lot more inexperienced, but I do have some uh, patient care hours under my belt. So I was a uh, CNA for a little while and I worked as a home health aide and then I also worked um, as a clinical technician as well. And then I did a little work as a pharmacy technician and also I got my EMT, but I never actually used it for some reason. Um, so th that's pretty much the range of my experiences. Nothing cool overseas like David over here, but we'll see what the future brings. Just starting nonprofits, you know, just trying to help the resume any way I can. Just Let me do. just mention real quick, because uh, Dee's a little too humble to mention herself. Uh, she may say that she's not very experienced, but she is one of the uh, the bright brightest stars in the class and she's always on top of things and has quizlets done right after class and everything i use all of her study material so she's really been instrumental in at least uh getting me through the program so don't let her saying that uh oh i i don't have any experience you guys did cool <laughs> things no she's she's right up there well it definitely doesn't feel like that but <laughs> glad to hear that someone thinks i have my my mess together <laughs> i think that's what you see a lot with with pa school though we all kind of bring in a different experience and and because of that we all lean on each other a little bit right so it was very similar in our class when we were there there were uh you know certain people that would make study guides and stuff like that and i was never the one to do that because <laughs> i was never on top mm -hmm. of anything enough and uh you know a lot of very bright people in our class would make these quizlets and i would rely on them uh, to some degree but then when it came to, you know, areas that I were stronger, uh, uh, you know, and then traditionally they would come to me for help. So I think uh, that's something that's awesome about PA school that we do see is we all kind of rely on each other uh, to get through it because that's, at the end of the day, that's the name of the game, right? Get through this program, get our degrees, and do excellent patient care. Um, so I think that's, that's beautiful. You guys just echoed a, an amazing point yeah. of mm -hmm. PA school. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I would even add on to that, like we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but at the end of the day, it's really about the attitude that you, you mm -hmm. display, what your motivation is for learning, what your motivation is in general. Um, if it's in the right place and it's willing to help others, put the egos aside, things like that, I think it, it makes it for not only a better PA student, but for a better PA. Um, I will also add that with, with the, the entry level PA programs, I've, I think that it goes a little understated that there is a lot more rigor in the undergraduate process in terms of academics for them. The, the There's a lot more undergraduate classes that I've talked to with other entry-level students that they've taken that I did not take. I did not take, you know, like pharmacology type courses in my undergraduate, and that's usually not a prerequisite for a lot of the, the uh, PA programs in the country. So I, I would also add to that that even though you might not have as much medical experience, though it might be valuable, you also have a lot more valuable um, book knowledge than, than some of us might have, as well as good study habits, because all, most of us here have been removed from the classroom for a, a, t a tad bit. My study habits mm -hmm. went out the window after <laughs> I graduated undergrad. I forgot how to read. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely had so. to, to bounce that one back. Um, but how about we dive right in and, and go around the room, talk about what kind of got us into the, the PA profession? Yes, um, the, age, the age old question, the one you're asked at every interview, the one you're asked at while you're talking to your patients, the one you're asked at while you're standing next to a medical student on your rotation, why did you choose PA? So, so for me, I chose PA. Uh, there's a lot of reasons to choose it, but for me it was pretty simple. I wanted the flexibility, I didn't want the debt, I wanted less schooling. That checked all of those boxes there, and I really like the ability that PAs have to to be able to to serve at such a high capacity in medicine, to be able to advocate for their patients, to be able to diagnose, treat, assess, while working alongside a team of people. And so that's that's ultimately why I chose it. Um, I don't know if you guys have other things to add to that. So yeah, I'd pretty much echo that. I think also something that was pretty universal when I told people I wanted to be a PA was, oh my gosh, my mom saw a PA when she was going through cancer treatment and just had an amazing experience with such an approachable provider and pretty much everyone I talked to had that kind of experience with a PA and didn't really notice that much when I would bring up other professions um, although you know there are great paths as well something that I really appreciated was um, the job satisfaction I heard from PAs and also the satisfaction from patients that they got from seeing PAs as well 
Yeah, that's that's a great point, actually. A lot of the times when I talk to some former patients, too, they'd be like, yeah, I saw a PA, and sometimes they're better than the doctor. And not to throw shade <laughs> at the doctor at all, because that's not at all the case most of the time. But the um, I think that's a really great great point to, to make note of. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit different, too, right? So, like, PAs naturally in, in the kind of the hierarchy of medicine, you know, we might have lighter patient loads or we might have more time to spend with, with patients. So it, you know, seldom will it actually be that, you know, our interactions with patients are, are truly better than with doctors. Uh, you know, I'm sure it's, you know, the same amount of care and the same, you know, kind of uh, interaction. But the thing about being a PA is you have that kind of extra time to chat with them. And, and that's maybe a little bit what makes that difference, right? That makes people walk away and say this was a, a good interaction. Because at the baseline, the the amount of medical care that's being given, that's going to be the same. That's going to be the standard. That's not going to change. Uh, but that's one of the, the beautiful things about being a PA. And another thing that brought me into this profession was I, you know, initially when I was going through undergrad, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I thought maybe I wanted to be a teacher, things like that. I had no idea. And I went through a couple classes and my freshman year, my uh, my highest grade was in general biology. That doesn't happen, right? Like, <laughs> that's the the class that like weeds people out. I think my worst grade was in U.S. history, and I was like, well, this is kind of telling. Maybe I should be like a science major. And I looked into it, and I was like, well, what can I do with that? And you know, it was the the teacher. You could go into medicine, things like that. And I was like, well, you know, don't people usually have their lives together way earlier if they want to go into medicine than where I am right now? And I looked at it, and I was like, uh, you know. I didn't think I wanted to go through all of the schooling to become an MD. Um, I wanted a different kind of care. I, di- I wasn't too attracted to like the nursing model of care, so I knew I didn't want to go into that route. And then I actually found out what a PA was, uh, and I kind of latched onto that idea, right? And I, I looked at it more. I started shadowing people. This was all throughout like my sophomore and, and junior year, and then it was a uh, kind of do or die time for me in terms of deciding if I wanted to apply and go throughout this and I became an EMT and I started working with patients and I was like this is this is what I love I love this interaction with patients and I love to talk to them and and, you know just work through their problems as you can because even one thing I learned as an EMT is you know sometimes the greatest medical intervention is just conversation with someone you know it's not always about giving you know all the medications in the world sometimes people just need someone to talk to and so that was one thing that, you know, made me say, you know, the healthcare, you know, profession is where I need to be. And then the more I learned about PAs, it seemed like the, the best gig. You know, David was talking about the horizontal mobility that you can kind of change, you know, specialties whenever you want. It's uh, a little bit more lighter. It's, uh, it seems like, you know, everything that I wanted. So that's how I got here. And I'm uh, incredibly happy with uh, my decision so far. Oh, I agree with all of that. Uh, I really didn't know that I wanted to get into medicine specifically. I was uh, studying music my first uh, two years of college, and uh, my father was a firefighter EMT. My brother went through paramedic school and everything like that. And when I quickly learned that uh, I cannot play the trumpet well enough to make money, <laughs> um, same, I I was convinced by my dad to take an EMT class and did that. I was like, oh, this is cool. I can get a job. And that's when I started working at the plasma center and everything um, with the idea of just really oh, I want to go be a paramedic. That sounds like a really cool job, and that's what I know. It's what's comfortable, I guess. But while I was doing my paramedic uh, rotations in the ER, um, that's when I was exposed to some of the PAs, and um, they were leading the traumas that were coming in, and I thought that was really cool. I was holding C-spine on a guy that uh, was in a – he was riding his bicycle with his wife, and they were both struck by cars, and he was in and out of consciousness, and um, the the PA was leading all of it, and – um, after the whole team left and kind of they stabilized him, she was uh, staying behind and pulling out uh, like debris from his back and stapling him up and everything like that. And um, he was in and out of consciousness and waking up and asking, where am I? Where's my wife and everything? And just to see the care that she was providing like, medically um, by taking care of him, debriding him and uh, stapling him up, but also reassuring him every single time that he woke up and just that she got to spend that time with him was really, really impactful. And just like you, Brett, I've had experiences where I finished up my flight paramedic class and I'm like, oh, cool, I'm a critical care paramedic now. I'm going to do some great things. And you show up on a traumatic arrest. And my job was to care for the little five-year-old that uh, was not, 
wasn't hurt in the car and uh, just talk to him and reassure him during probably the scariest day of his life. And that was an eye-opening moment to realize, you know what, patient care is truly about being caring. And I like that PAs get to spend the time with the patients and go that extra mile when physicians, not that they can't, they just, I think they're so overwhelmed that they don't get uh, as much time as we may to have those interactions with patients. But the lateral mobility and all of that, I I, uh, like to think that I'm a jack of many trades and a master of none. (laughs) Not to say that PAs aren't highly qualified to do uh, the things that they do, but I like the idea that, you know, when I don't like something or I want to move on to something else that I have that option to do so. Hmm. Those are, those are really great points. And uh, I think that's a great way to like transition a little bit too into we, we all kind of talked about our prior experiences leading us to want to become a PA. And I, I think that's a really great, great point to make. You know, I, I shadowed multiple different professions before I made the decision that PA was the way to go. You guys also had experiences where you witnessed and saw PAs perform in a certain capacity that really interested you into the profession. Um, I just, I, I'm going to kind of transition that a little bit into sort of the differences in, in tracks f- for us. So Dee's going to be a, a big, <laughs> big help for this one because none of the other people on this panel, myself included, were not uh, entry-level PA students. Uh, so what, what kind of is the, the process like for an entry-level student? Yeah, so a lot of it is very similar to how you'd apply to regular college. Um, there might be an extra um, essay that you have to write here or there. Um, for me, I think I was able to get an interview here, but the interview wasn't really the standard. Um, a lot of people were just admitted based on the regular things that you're admitted for for college. So SAT scores and, you know, your GPA and maybe a little bit of your class rank. I don't even know if they do that anymore. Um, But a lot of people that I've talked to that have been entry level um, kind of went into it with nursing in mind or with PA in mind. So a lot of people applied to both kinds of programs, not really knowing what they wanted to do and then ended up choosing based off of the options that they had from their admissions and stuff like that. Um, So for me, I actually knew a lot sooner because my dad has um, some chronic conditions that he sees a lot of providers for. Um, And he knows me well, so he knew, he was like, have you heard about this PA profession? And I was in eighth grade at the time, and I was like, yeah, I know, eighth grade. That's crazy. Um, (laughs) And I mean, I am a little bit younger, so it is, you know, starting to become a little bit more prominent, not to call you guys out or anything. (laughs) Um, Ouch. (laughs) But, yeah, that's kind of how I found out about it. And then my process from there on out was just apply to as many entry-level programs that you can. Um, and I also applied to a few just like regular biomedical sciences and things like that. But from there, um, my experiences in actual college and what we had to do to get to PA school was a thousand hours of direct patient contact. So doing the things that we talked about before. Um, also some volunteering hours and stuff like that. And then just maintaining a good GPA, which um, wasn't too challenging to accomplish, although it was a. L- <coughs> oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Humble brag there. It wasn't, <laughs> wasn't too hard to accomplish. It definitely was daunting, <laughs> though, I would say, because a thousand hours does sound like a lot when you think about it, um, on top of doing like a regular college schedule. But it really was accomplishable, and you know I don't regret it at all. So. That's awesome. I I always wondered like, I think when I was in eighth grade, all I was worried about was like playing football. Like, I had no idea what my future was going to hold. And that's incredible that, that you know, you, you realize it's so young and, and so early. And that's what I think is, like, the main difference between, like, a traditional and a non-traditional, you know, entry-level uh, student is that they hear about the profession earlier and they kind of know that they want to go into it earlier. And that's really what, what kind of only makes you, you deviate from the traditional route because if you find out about what a PA is early – naturally, you know, you're, you're going to pursue it and you're going to go through it. You know, it's still, you know, I think in terms of Quinnipiac's admissions process, I think our minimum hours was also 1,000 or was it 2,000? I think it was like 2,500 2, if I remember or something was like that. Was that the average though or was that like the minimum? It was a very vague yeah, number. I, it, I, they said 2,500, but I think people could apply with less, yeah, but they were not considered And so like the, s- the standards are very similar. It's, it's you know, and the, the classes aren't incredibly different you'd still do the same basic you know you know uh, science classes so it, there's not a lot of difference in there but the 
you know it's just people who find out earlier in life it's it's like it blows me away because like mm. I said I, I had no idea what I wanted to do it you know I was 20 still thinking about you know where where am I gonna what am I gonna do after I graduate college so. I think it'll be interesting to see as uh, there's more education about PAs and the the career path progresses uh, at what point will we see the five-year-old saying oh, I want to be a PA rather than I want to be a doctor, I want to be a nurse, I want to be a firefighter, I want to be a, yeah, a spaceman. Yeah. At what point uh, where we get to the point where it's like, oh, everyone knows about PAs and what PAs do and what they're capable of doing. Yeah. Well, the name change might not help that. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah. yeah. The, uh, the traditional, you know, application process, it's, uh, it's pretty wide open, though. It's, it's much less, you know, uh, structured and planned out compared to mm. the entry-level stuff, though, right? I mean... We went through undergrad. We knew we had to get these prerequisites done. The timeline was kind of up in the air, right? So, like, no one ever told us, hey, you've got to do this class then, this class after that, and then this. Um, it was a lot of figuring it out on your own. At least I know that was my own perspective of it, was there was never someone in my ear that kind of had it all figured out and understood the process enough to say you've got to take X, Y, Z and do this. It was kind of... I looked up schools saw what their prereqs were I was like I guess I'm going to do all those classes meet all the requirements and then I'm going to apply was it different for, for you guys there I'll say it was actually quite frustrating I I would say I'm very disappointed in the process of this whole uh, pre-PA process for for most traditional applicants I think that a lot of the programs they just they say they have these set the set of requirements, but none of them line up with another. So, for for example, there was programs I wanted to apply to. I took molecular genetics, but I didn't take regular genetics, so I couldn't apply to those programs because I took molecular, not regular genetics. Or I took this one because I didn't take statistics. Or I, I can't go into this one because I didn't take calculus too. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, there's no um, there's a set of standards for for nursing to get into nursing school. You need to meet these classes and these requirements all throughout the board. Everybody, same same with medical school. But when it comes to PA school, it's very loosey goosey. It's like ah, maybe take anatomy. That's about it. That's that's where the commonalities differentiate. After that, it's like take anatomy, take a science course, and have a bachelor's degree. And well, so, do you think that that is in part because of like we're a young profession, or do you think it's from like the nature of our profession, right? So, like, because the the history behind it is we were kind of a, a ragtag group <laughs> being thrown into like the medical field, right? And so, I wonder if they like to keep that kind of unstructuredness to allow us to learn in different ways, right? So, I wonder if it's truly like an intent versus kind of unintentional thing, but. Yeah, I, I wouldn't classify it as like an intentional thing by any means. I think every program has expectations for their students going into it, and they want them to be, so to, for lack of a better term, groomed a specific way. I just uh, I, th I think that at this point, now that our profession's evolved enough, where you have people coming from all backgrounds, all like all sorts of medical experience, all types of uh, academic backgrounds, that you you should have at least a set of standards just displayed across for everybody and if the program wants to add standards on top of that they can but it, it shouldn't be so like sp program specific for every single one because that that was actually quite, quite unfortunate it, it narrowed my my net that I could cast for certain schools because by the time I really decided I want to become a PA I was in my junior year or senior year of college and so most of the classes I've taken by that point were solidified in stone and I'm not going to I didn't really have the financial feasibility to just go back and, and add a class here or there that I would have probably liked to if I knew that they were going to change certain requirements at this university or that university. Mm -hmm. that yeah, sense. I agree with you, David. I, I don't know how much I can really comment on it because I'm just a first-year student that uh, has <laughs> just no... A, just a first-year. <laughs> well, with no... I'm not part of the admissions, so mm -hmm. um, that might be a good question to ask somebody who's on faculty or admissions, but... Um, because the PA profession is let's teach you all of this information in such a short amount of time you really have to look at your applicants and say who already has a solid foundational knowledge that we can build upon and that will fit our program and our mission and our standards and so I think that's why you have such variety um, across all the different programs which is very unfortunate 
personally me, I did terribly in my uh, undergraduate science classes. Um, when I was a music major, I didn't want to wake up for biology and chemistry. So <laughs> I slept in, I missed class, and I got D minuses in those classes. And then I had to retake anatomy and physiology, introduction to anatomy and physiology, because I didn't care. So when I graduated in 2016, and spoke to my pre-PA professor, she kind of laughed at me and said, oh, you want to be a PA and your science GPA is like two? Good luck, bud. And so uh, I was mostly uh, digging my way out of a hole and taking any upper graduate science class that I could and trying to do well in it while I was still maintaining full-time employment and doing all that, those other things. And so it was, it was difficult, but uh, that narrowed the amount of schools that I could apply to as well, um, knowing that, oh, well, I don't have the greatest GPA, and so I won't be able to apply to these schools, or um, there's no way that I'm going to get, I mean, just last year before I got accepted, I was taking, like, organic chemistry, and most people took that as an undergraduate, and I'm over here, you know, this is my seventh year of college, and I'm taking organic chemistry and (laughs) stats 1040, Um, but I think because it is such a vigorous program and every school has their way of doing things that's why we see such variability yeah i think you're right there because they're they're looking for the right fits to their program right so each each program is going to have kind of their own mission statement like you said and it's the entire you know admissions process you know from from the outside looking in it always seems like they're just trying to find the right people right so if you're, you know, applying and you're getting interviews and things like that, they already know that you're, you're capable in, in terms of a student, but they have to find if, you, you know, you're the right fit. And maybe those requirements that they put out um, and why they might be so different is to try to narrow that and make it, you know, so that they, they get the students that, that they want that are right for their program. Yeah, and in my, in my attempt, my, my <laughs> futile int- attempt to sort of generalize the admission process for pre-PA students. A little bit ago, I created what I call the Big Ten. So medical school has, uh, from what I was familiar with back in my undergraduate, our program introduced us to like a medical school Big Ten. Uh, They didn't really have anything for PAs at the time. So I kind of just tailored it off of that. And I'm gonna kind of go through about the 10 things that if you do them, you're likely, I, I can't guarantee anything. I wish I could, but <laughs> but David you, will accept you to his PA. Program. I would accept you into my PA program. That is correct. <laughs> the David Cooper University of sleep deprived PA students. Um, so with that, I'm just going to kind of go through the the ten things. And indeed, I, I know some of these are for traditional students, but definitely jump in because there's a lot in here that I think applies to entry level students as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one, especially here, uh, is the attitude, like we talked about earlier. Uh, I, I think being professional is the most important thing every day, day in and day out. I was told that every day you're writing your recommendation letter, how you respond to a poor exam score, how you respond to something unfairly happening to you, how you respond to adversity and stress. Those things you are being observed on whether you realize it or not. And so you need to, to take advantage of those situations and, and, and grow from them, but also learn from them as well. And I, I think uh, I was blessed enough to have some mentors uh, throughout my undergraduate process that professors that took me under their wing, people that kind of coached me and taught me along the way uh, to not to just be a better person. And I was always told and modeled to me, it's better to get an A in life than to get an A in your classroom. And I, I think that applies with attitude here because there's going to be times where you you just have to prioritize whether it's your family, you need to prioritize your, um, you know, some, something, some other extraneous variable outside of school, uh, that, that can be more important. But I think the attitude and your motivation to be a PA is first and foremost the biggest thing to, to getting into PA school. I don't know if any of you guys want to touch on that. I, I would have to agree. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a type of person that wants to continue education after undergrad. It's a type of person that wants to devote their life to taking care of people. Uh, and it's a it's a type of person that that you know ends up in this field, and it it all stems down from attitude. I think you know if I were to say you know the phrase like, you know ever better, you know every day improving to get better. I think you know all four of us would would raise our hand and say that we try to do it because, you know, we're part of that that you know group of people that feel that way, be, and we're in this profession because of that. So I think the attitude is definitely incredibly important. 
And I think humility is a big part of it too. Um, just having a positive attitude when you can. I mean, we're not all built to be optimists, of course, especially in PA school, it's difficult. Uh, but I think a positive attitude has gotten me pretty far. Um, just trying my best to, you know, stay as happy and as motivated as I can is just taking me a far way. Um, and just kind of being happy-go-lucky when I don't know things, I'm like, yep, I don't know it. I'm sorry, I'll look it up later. Um, I think that's also helpful. Just really quickly, I think to tie it into medicine, there's the diff attitude is the difference between post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic growth. So when you when you have a good attitude and you look at it from the right the right angle and you have a growth mindset and a good attitude, that's that's where you have growth and that's where you move forward as a person rather than letting it cripple you and become a crutch. So having the, the right attitude gets you far further in school, further in your career. And I mean, the stress never stops rolling. Talking to you guys in your clinical year, it's like, oh, we hear didactic year is the worst and everything, but it doesn't stop in clinical year. And then you can talk to all the people that are practicing and there's stress once you start practicing. And then there's all the curveballs that life throws at you too. So having a good attitude helps you navigate all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think that's, that's why I put a number one on my list. It's the most important thing. Some of these I'm, I'm not going to go into too much detail because I don't, I don't really think when we have the time and there's whole other episodes you can make on getting into PA school. But uh, this, the second one I put down was GPA around a 3.0 or better for competitive applicants. Uh, it should be around a 3.5. Um, we can share our GPAs if you want. I really don't think it, it matters too much at this point since we're in. Uh, for, for me, I think just seeing an upward trend. Uh, for example, I started my undergrad with a 2.7 GPA. I was a first-generation college student, had no idea what I was getting myself into. Took those intro to biology classes, and I did not do well in those. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, probably did well in my history ones, though, for whatever reason. That, not, not me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, again, I had lucky, I was lucky enough to have some mentors that sat down with me, and it goes back to the attitude aspect of, I, I sat down with somebody and I said, how can I improve? How can I be a better student? How can I learn and, and retain knowledge? How, how can I prioritize my tasks and skills and, and things like of that nature? And, and, and over time, it improved and, and grew, and I had to retake some of those classes I took. And I, I finished, actually, with a, a 3.76 or something overall in my undergrad. And then um, my science GPA was far lower than that because I had to retake the science courses that I did not achieve well in initially. But I think... Again, if you are deficient in areas or you feel like you need to strengthen your application, that's, that's something to look at. So Yeah, I think the biggest thing with GPA is knowing that you're never out of it, right? You mm -hmm. can always kind of build your GPA further. Uh, you know, Tyler said by taking more upper-level classes, you know, like he did. It's, uh, you know, even if you're down right now, you're never, never really out of it. The GPA is kind of just like, it's, uh, it's a prerequisite. You just got to get it done, you know? But it's not exactly the the end all be all. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and then going into also another academic one is the GRE. <laughs> yeah, oh, avoided that. I could go on a nope. full rant. I didn't. I didn't take it. I, I, nope. I thought this does not assess what type of PA you're gonna be. So, so uh, Brett's there like, oh man. I, I took it twice. You <laughs> paid I, for both of us there. I, yeah, right. I uh, I will say this. Um, my math grade on the GRE was abysmal. Like, I'm talking uh, lower 10 percentile of the country bad. Um, so that being said, um, you know, again, that's not a thing that makes or breaks your application. Uh, you know, naturally, you know, these guys didn't, uh, you know, even take it. So it's not something that will, you know, make or break your application. But it, it can help if that's something that, you know, the programs require of you. And some do, some don't. Uh, and it's just another thing that you have to look at and say, either I've got to do this and do my best, uh, and kind of whatever the outcome is, is is kind of whatever it is. Fun fact, uh, I did worse on my second attempt <laughs> than my first. <laughs> so after I, after I did that, I was like, all right, I'm good on this. We will move on. So. I think that goes into the vari variability of all the programs and everything, too. Some require it, some don't. Some require the new PA cat or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, in my case, it probably would have been a good idea to take the GRE and cushion, show that I'm capable and that I actually have a brain in my head. But uh, I didn't because uh, I had a lot of other things going on, and luckily I was I was uh, invited into the program. So 
I don't know, like you guys said, I don't think it's an accurate representation of what you're capable of or what your future is going to be. And I think our program realizes that and that's why they don't require it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I could go on a full rant for that, but we would run out of time. <laughs> so uh, the the next one is greater than 2000 hours of medical experience. I, I put that as a general. If you guys disagree with me, you can. Um, obviously, D came from a different situation for sure. Uh there's a whole variety of patient care experience hours that we touched on here too. Um, you know, for me, I was a, uh, a nursing assistant. I was a medical assistant. So the cool thing, at least from my perspective, is I got to see both models of the medical model, the nursing model, what those both entail. And I can kind of take the best of both and use that in my practice in the future. Or I hope to. Um, so Yeah, I think the biggest thing with your patient care hours is uh, some people go into it saying, oh, I've just got to get my 2,000 hours and that's it. And they don't care where it comes from, what you're doing, or things like that. And I think that's kind of can be a, a dangerous way to think about it, right? So when I was going through it, initially I said to myself, yeah, I just got to get these hours and, you know, it's another step to get into the school. Um, but what I don't think I realized until, you know, I was kind of years into, you know, my, my medical career as an, as an EMT was that you see things, you do things, you go through different types of, uh, you know, interactions with people uh, from accumulating these hours. And that's what the programs want to see, right? So you want to pick something where you know you're going to have, you know, kind of the opportunity to to interact with people and and have these experiences. I could think of, you know, countless, you know, amount of patients that I worked with that, you know, I brought up about during interviews and things like that to kind of show that, you know, my patient care hours weren't just, you know, I got my 2,000 or so hours. They were a part of who I was and, a, a, you know, a part of my life that made me know I wanted to go into medicine. So I think, you know, going into it saying, you know, I want to get a good understanding of just patient care and, and taking care of people is, is one of the strongest things to, to do it than just aiming for a number. For traditional PA students, I think that's a big pitfall that you can fall into when you're filling out the CASPA is going, okay, I've checked this box, I've checked this box, I've gotten my hours. But the section where you describe what those those hours were about and what they meant to you, I think that is kind of where the gold is. And yeah, that those, those hours are important for understanding medicine, building a foundation, everything for class. But most importantly, I think it's essential for building your why, for uh, why you want to be in medicine. And that's going to result in longevity for you in medicine is having a solid why which has come from your patient care hours and I think that's also where you learn to kind of empathize with your colleagues in all different fields um you know I think there's this idea that like oh the the physician shouldn't be working and doing the code brown um they shouldn't (laughs) be the one that's changing the patient or anything like that but I think that what you learn from what you do in your hours is that you should be empathizing with your providers and fellow healthcare workers and you know doing your best to be a part of that interprofessional team because we know that medicine is so multidisciplinary so I think that's something that I got from my hours that I really can translate well now that I'm in PA school. Yeah yeah no I think that's those are all really great points I think again not to beat a dead horse but it's about the quality of experience and not the quantity of experience you know if if you have good stories to share from this if you have uh, invaluable lessons to learn from your experience that's going to far more outweigh the the benefit of like ah i just got to get these hours in i just got to keep mm-hmm. going and do this mm-hmm. and doing that so uh, kind of moving on to the next one we, we we already talked about this a lot but it's just meeting the prerequisites for your desired school so just making sure that you you meet those standards you have to unfortunately look at a lot of the schools to see what they require and that's a big part of figuring out what you're interested in and we'll, we'll kind of talk about that in a, a few minutes here about the didactic year and what the the teaching model is for our school and and, and kind of what that process is like too so uh, in terms of the next one I, I put down was leadership experience I think this is an important one because as PAs we're going to be leaders in the room like uh, like you were mentioning earlier Tyler uh, that the the P, the PA runs will at times run a code. They'll they'll be the ones running or facilitating care. And I think it's so important to have good, valuable leadership experience. Whether that's being an RA, a tutor, a soccer coach, whatever it is, you know, having that that experience I think is 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 invaluable. I don't know if anybody else wants to touch on that at all or or express anything. But crickets. 
<laughs> I, I mean, I agree. I, when I was applying to Quinnipiac, I saw that uh, leadership was a big thing for the program. And so I started reflecting on my experiences. And though I haven't really held any formal um, leadership positions, I think once again, in reflecting, I can go, oh, well, I was a paramedic. And so I was the leader in the pre-hospital setting and I helped do this X, Y, and Z and everything and sh- pulled more quality out of my patient care hours. And so um, I think taking a look at all of your experiences, wherever they may be, whether it's in medicine or, you know, if you're a leader at a church group or whatever the case may be, all those things do add up and you can find quality in them if you're looking at it. Yeah. I mean, it all boils down to we're going to be working in a team setting and, you know, teams have leaders and you have to be able to step up into that role. And so that's something that, you know, PA programs, I think, around the country will look for it and want out of an applicant. So getting those experiences, uh, kind of thrusting yourself into that role early on can help kind of break the ice and set you up for success in the future. So it's definitely something to keep in the back of your mind. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, additionally, too, it like helps teach you how to manage conflict and other life skills as well. I think a lot of the leadership experience I've had has helped me confront issues that that I wouldn't have in the past too. So uh, another another one I have on here that Brett really wanted me to talk about too was the international or diverse experiences. Uh, did any of you guys have have any uh, sort of international or other diverse type medical a- experiences? Absolutely not. And that's why <laughs> that's why I wanted to hear from you because when you when you brought up this medical mission trip that you did, it was something that never even crossed my mind. I, I never would have really even thought about it. And you know, then I then I hear what you what you did in these other countries, and it was incredibly you know impactful to me. And so I, you know, whenever I get a chance to hear about it, I, I always I want to hear everything that you can share with us. Yeah, uh, and, and granted, I'm I'm a bit of a little kid. I, I get really excited about the little things. So, you know, the other day I got to scrub in on a surgery, and I got to hold suction. And like I was like, yeah, I gotta do that. I gotta hold suction. This is so exciting. Good and positive like, attitude. Like nobody, yeah, right. But like nobody else is there. Like, ah, oh, that's so awesome. You know, it, it it is a really cool thing. And I I try to take advantage of every little opportunity like that to get of of being able to just be part of something. And the the medical trips I went on. So I I went on two uh, trips down to the Dominican Republic. Uh, my first first year was as a, as a student. The second year was as a leader. And the, the first time I went down, it was just for like a little spring break trip. I wasn't, you know, sipping pina coladas or anything, <laughs> I promise. Um, <laughs> the the trip, we, we went down there and we kind of got a little acclimated with the Dominican culture. And then we learned about the people. We did like, you know, learned just more about the, the area itself, which w- I thought was really cool and really immersive and, and, and important to have whenever you do any sort of a broad trip. And then we would go out to these, like, barrios uh, that were, like, in, like, these uh, surrounding cities that were just, it was complete poverty. I've never seen anything like that in my entire life. And it completely shifted my perspective on what I have, what I'm grateful for, the, the money I have, how insignificant it is compared to what the people around me are, are experiencing and, and even furthermore, I went on a, a trip for a full month in Guatemala that was uh, medically based as well. And, and on all these trips, we would set up these clinics just in some sort of like building, usually a little church or something like that. And we would have, and Guatemala was really cool because they had an eye machine. So I got to s- help people get corrective lenses. And for the first time to put glasses on people that have not been able to see clearly their entire life was was an experience that you'll never be able to unsee uh, no pun intended there <laughs> but like it was a, it was amazing to just have these these opportunities to really provide medicine to people that really needed something whether it was basic vitamins basic uh, injections or just simply a diagnosis of something it just to be able to give those answers to listen to support uh, to be there and um, fun fact when I was in Guatemala I actually ended up uh, eating a bit of a rodent. Oh, <laughs> it was cooked. It was cooked. Uh, <laughs> it was. Uh, it was a really interesting thing for me. This wasn't a dare. No, no. surprisingly not. <laughs> so the the people in Guatemala that we were with, we we were in like this very rural area. Like you had to drive an hour in this four by four truck to get there, and the the clinics that we had set up uh, were in this area. And this family came and they had uh, this food for us and. 
they were like, oh, we prepared you a full meal. And we're like, okay, wh what is it? And they're like, ah, it's this thing. And they said it in Spanish. I don't know what it was. And they're like, yeah, it's pretty much just a giant rodent. And I was like, okay. So I just doused it in some ketchup, American style, and uh, wrapped it <laughs> in a tortilla. It was good to go. But <laughs> but I, those are those are the experiences. That's the, the diversity things that are like, you know, almost once in a lifetime that, that change you forever. So yeah. if, if you're a student, I think if you're ever able to do something like that, that will, that will change you as a person entirely. And, you know, most likely for the better. Absolutely. It completely shifted my whole perspective, not, not just on, on myself, but like medicine and how I treat others, how, how I go about my life. So if you get the chance to do anything like that, and unfortunately with COVID, it's really thrown a wrench and all that. I know our program has trips down to the Dominican Republic as well. And a lot of other PA programs do that too, but it really is an incredible thing. So, um, <clears throat> kind of going into the next couple here, just really briefly, uh, another one was a, a great personal statement with strong supplemental essays. Uh, that's a whole other episode you could do too, but you want to make sure you have that. And then, uh, applying early and applying well. So going through the CASPA process. So the CASPA process is essentially the, the central application something for PAs. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> something like that. So You'd think we've done it. We yeah. maybe know what it's called. I tried to erase that from my memory. <laughs> it's just a very long application process. If any of you guys are interested, you can definitely uh, shoot us an, an email about it. Uh, what was the, the full uh, email short title? Shortwhitecoatsyndrome at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram. If you look up shortwhitecoatsyndrome, uh, you will find us, uh, and you can either shoot us a DM or you can shoot us an email, and we can do an episode on essentially any of these little minusa uh, details of the, the application process to try to strengthen things for you and, and help you understand it. Yeah, and then the last one, too, would be another great episode to have is just interviewing and interviewing well. So. Mm -hmm. With that, I, I, I kind of want to transition a little bit into the didactic year, a little bit about our course structure. I think this is where the first year students can, can speak on that a little bit better than, than us since we were a little bit of a unique situation with uh, COVID-19. So uh, kind of uh, can you break down like a typical day for, your, for a student in didactic year? Uh, it's constantly changing and you need to be ready for it to change. Uh, so flexibility, definitely be flexible. But in terms of what our regular day may be, might be like in the fall semester, uh, right now we're taking a lot of medicine courses. So we're in lecture sometimes from eight to nine and people like to scare you with those types of things. You know, oh, you're gonna be in class all day and by the time you get out, it's dark, which is sometimes true. Um, but it really does vary. And we also are able to do like physical diagnosis labs in between and stuff like that. So it's not all just sitting in a classroom also very interactive in different ways as well. Uh, we started preclinicals as well recently, so we're getting to see a little bit of medicine in action and getting to practice those histories and physicals. Um, Tyler, I don't know uh, what you want to add. No, I mean, I, I would say that the uh, waking up at eight and being in class till nine is not, it's the exception, not the rule. Um, <laughs> I mean, usually it's eight or so hours of lecture a day. Um, but uh, also with uh, the COVID pandemic and you guys being on Zoom, I think the faculty has adjusted well and they've realized, you know what, being at school all day, all the time kind of uh, is really terrible. <laughs> so <laughs> let's uh, sometimes allow them to sit at home and uh, Zoom in on this lecture and everything and do it dis uh, remotely. So that's been kind of nice to have that uh, variability in there and uh, changes it up. But yeah, I mean, a lot of medicine and uh, physical diagnosis, learning mm -hmm. how to put your hands on a patient and find out uh, what might be going on by, by doing that. And that's been really cool and eye-opening to see, oh, yeah, with a good history and a good physical exam, I can narrow it down pretty much. And that's, that's the fall semester in a nutshell is learning the physical. You kind of already have the history and then learning the medicine behind the physical exam. Yeah, and that's another thing you might hear people say is that it's like drinking from a fire hose. Um, and it definitely is in some ways, but I think the faculty knows that it's like that. So they always are pretty cognizant about making sure that we're taking care of ourselves, making sure that we don't have five exams in a week. Uh, so they've been pretty good about listening to our feedback and you know, making sure that we're well cared for and that we're ready to go for preclinicals. Um, so I don't really have any complaints. I mean, I'm tired 
but I still I still love what I'm doing I think at the end of the day the faculty's really made it great uh, that was when I was interviewing um, I really felt supported by the faculty in interviews and I felt like they really cared about you as a person and wanted you to be successful and uh, showing up on those long days and long lectures and they're like I know you don't want to be here and I don't know I know you don't want to spend four hours listening to leukemias but uh, <laughs> we got to do it and so we're going to try to make it enjoyable and that's been really gr- great and I really uh, thank the faculty for that because they, they know it they know it sucks but they uh, they make it entertaining and they and they give us what we need. Yeah, it's interesting hearing your guys' perspective because mine and David, we entered the program during the midst of the, you know, COVID, uh, you know, disaster. And so (laughs) we had to do almost everything online. There were, you know, labs that we were able to do in person and there were certain things that we had to do, uh, you know, in person. But the bulk of our, you know, education, the lectures, it was all online. So it was something that, you know, starting PA school is different, but starting PA school entirely online, you know, in a way that's never really been done was something kind of uh, incredibly daunting. Um, But I'm glad that they're making transitions back to being in the classroom. I think that's where I would have felt most safe. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it sounds like you guys are at least getting through it if you're not having fun. (laughs) A little bit of fun. I think the great thing about being in the classroom, too, is like, our class is so supportive of each other. Like there's no competition. Like I don't think I've ever felt that way with any of my classmates. We're all looking out for each other. And at the end of the day, we all wanna see each other become PAs. And also like the second year class has been a great help as well because you know, I'll text my mentor from the second years and be like, oh, how's this room exam? Like how how bad is it? Like break it to me easy. <laughs> but you know, that's been really helpful too, like asking my mentor, like, what should I expect? And then also relying on my classmates who make great quizlets and, you know, who are always there for a listening ear when, you know, I'm struggling a little bit and I just need someone to talk to. So I think, you know, both the faculty and my fellow classmates, like, I can't say anything better about them. Like, it's just been great. Facts. Yeah, (laughs) I I would, uh, I'm just gonna add on to that a little bit about the whole, the whole ego situation. With, uh, with PA school and, and, and just in, in healthcare, I, I feel like there's always been this, this underlying thing of, oh, I know more than you or I'm high and mighty and there's like a hierarchy and all this stuff. And I, I think uh, the great, it's really refreshing to have a conversation with, with three other people that, that don't, don't think that way, that are here to not just improve the, the life of, of themselves and try to improve the care of their patients, but also trying to teach one another. Like for me, I ask so many questions on my, my, my clinical rotations and, and probably 90% of them are the dumbest questions you could probably ask. But I think that asking those questions, not only show, like, I, it's a humility for me to, uh, a form of humility for me to just step out and ask questions because I recognize I don't know everything. And it's scary to think that I would. And I, I think that it's really important to have that learning and growth mindset throughout your time in PA school, but also not trying to like stomp other people down or or try to withhold information so they don't do as well in PA school and, and things like that. I think that attitude gets you nowhere. It really doesn't it doesn't benefit you and it doesn't benefit your peers. And it doesn't benefit your patients ultimately at the end of the day, which is why we're going into this. So I, I think for me, setting that ego aside, it really, to me, it's a ridiculous thing, a notion to have some sort of ego in medicine because we're constantly learning. Medicine's constantly evolving. And I'm okay to accept that I'm wrong and be willing to be okay being wrong because I've been wrong so many times up to this point, <laughs> quite frankly. But also I think it's, it's good to, to take those moments and when you get something wrong, you learn from that. And I also teach other people like yesterday for me, I was teaching a nursing student a little bit about this process about a patient who had uh, achalasia and I barely knew what achalasia was at the time. And she was asking me questions about it. And I was like, yeah, let me look into this. Let me let's research together. Let's find out together. Let's let's figure out what causes this. Let's figure out why this is treated this way. And you ask those questions, and it, it has that growth mindset. And I think it's really cool to cooperate as a team and to learn together from one another and their peers. Yeah, I think there's a lot of pressure to kind of know everything or think that you know everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think one of the most powerful things that I did when I initially 
ended didactic year and was going into clinical year, my first rotation was general surgery. And I kind of said to myself, all right, well, I know I'm going to mess a lot of things up. I know I'm going to get many things wrong, but each day I'm going to come in there with a smile on my face, ready to learn and ready to get better with each interaction. You know, I kind of said to myself, these mistakes are going to happen. I'm not perfect. I'm never going to be perfect. Uh, and it was incredibly liberating for my own education because I never felt anxious about asking a question. I didn't feel nervous about how my performance was going to be because I, I sat there and I said to myself, you know, these mistakes are going to happen. And as long as we improve, that's all. That's the, the best that I can give. Uh, and I think, you know, if you kind of follow that, that nature and throw your ego out the window a little bit, there's so much extra learning to be done. And I think a big part of PA school is stepping outside your comfort zone. And I feel like I do something that I'm scared of one week. And then right after it, I'm like, oh, but I'm even more scared of the next <laughs> thing. And the thing that's kind of comforting is like, I know that in my life, I will never know everything. You know, especially when it comes to medicine, there's just so much to know. Um, and it's constantly changing and you constantly have to keep up to date with evidence-based medicine. Um, but I think the thing is, is like, you're not alone. And that's what's comforting about it. Like, I know I could turn to anyone, you know, whether it be one of my classmates or, you know, a colleague and ask a question. And, you know, it is a little bit humbling sometimes, but it's nice to know that you have a support system and an interprofessional team to rely on. PA school has been the definition of humbling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah every day I, I am humbled greatly, and I also appreciate it. So I, I think that's that's something that we can all say being in, in the seat that we are is that we appreciate where we're at, and that's a really special special thing to have. Um, I'm just going to kind of close this out with a, a couple other questions about didactic. So so for you guys, specifically being being in the didactic year, is there something that you wish somebody told you prior to coming into it? Um, is there something that you wish you knew before going into your didactic year of PA school? I kind of wish I knew less, to be <laughs> honest, because coming from the entry-level perspective, people are always giving you their opinions, but I kind of wanted to come into it with a mindset of like, don't have any expectations that it can't be, you know, worse than you expected or anything like that. So I would say, you know, you may have to throw your study habits out the window every once in a while and go back to the drawing board. You know, you should just never have any kind of expectations going into it because I feel like it's just such a different experience, even from undergrad that, you know, kind of come into it with a fresh mind and just be open. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And uh, just like, Brett said earlier, uh, going into surgery every morning with a smile on his face, going, I'm going to mess up, and but I'm going to learn and I'm going to grow. That's that's the mindset that you really need to have. And I do think uh, future or uh, previous students were good at letting me know, like, you know, take care of yourself and you're not going to be studying till midnight every night. You need to get your sleep and you need to get rest and eat. And uh, even when we first started the program and some of the uh, university faculty for like health and wellness were like, make sure you just wake up and have breakfast and take a shower, please. Just just <laughs> clean yourself. It sounds ridiculous, but um, the program can get stressful and you can start to um, try to make time and, you know what, shower like for 15 minutes or I could look at this thing, real, this Quizlet real quick and be better prepared for this test. But you really got to take time for yourself and um, taking time for yourself being healthy um, really is an investment into the quality of your studying later on versus the quantity. Quantity is not always the best. And so, and just for your longevity, there's times during the semester that I just felt burned. And that was mm -hmm. usually after, you know, three, four tests and lots and lots and lots of studying. And I felt like I, could, I couldn't take some time off. And even though I felt guilty about it, I'm like, you know, what? I'm just going to take a day to myself to just relax, do nothing, spend time with my dog and my, my fiance and just be human again, not be a student for a while. And uh, came back the next day with a fresh attitude and a uh, positive outlook and things went uh, better and it was, it was okay. <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> Give yourself permission. Yeah, I, I think that's honestly one of the most important things. And it's like that analogy where, you know, the oxygen masks drop on the plane 
do you put the one on that's next to you or do you put yours on first? And it's being able to take care of yourself first before you can take care of others, especially in healthcare. The burnout rate is so high for, for whatever field you're in, uh, especially healthcare. And I think that being able to take care of yourself in, this rig- in the rigors of PA school is so, so, so important. Well, I really appreciate you guys taking a little bit of time out of your crazy didactic schedules and and Brett, for you taking time out of your very cushy internal medicine position. (laughs) Thanks for having us. Yeah, this has been really great. And um, yeah, if you guys have any questions, want to reach out at all about uh, other topics on this podcast, feel free to uh, email us at shortwhitecoatsyndrome at gmail.com. And also remember to follow us on Instagram at shortwhitecoatsyndrome. This is uh, David Cooper uh, with my co-host here, Brett Barnes, and we are signing out. This is a production of the Quinnipiac Podcast Studio. And remember to keep breathing. Keep breathing.